Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting from the Matrix on the 14th of October 2011. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios you'll find uh, there for download. There's free thousand, well, I think there's over a thousand audios here now. Help yourself to them and hopefully if you can keep your sanity going through them, you'll understand this big picture that contradicts the reality that's been indoctrinated into you since childhood. And you'll find the big organizations. You'll find out that you've not got a democracy uh, or, or a republic either. It depends on what kind of country you think you have or system you think you have. You don't have them. Never really had them for an awful long time. Uh, some have never had them at all, especially the democracies. And you'll find that big corporations, they work together in big, big clubs and associations, really run your world for you. And your politicians are just the, the CEOs and members of those corporations that jump back and forth from politics back into uh, the positions with the corporations. And you can't really tell the difference between them nowadays, that they're merged together at the hip with this public-private attitude and so on. And the rest of the time, uh, democracy consists of uh, uh, the people being represented by government, having access to them. That means the lobbyists, and that's what it comes down to. The lobbyists are the only ones who get access to the politicians to make all their deals. And, of course, you see, you help yourself to the audios. And, and remember, too, the transcripts. You get transcripts on a lot of the talks I've given on all the sites listed at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. In English, you'll find them. And you can find them in other languages, too, if you go into AlanWatchSentinel.eu. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you can help me keep going by buying the books discs I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And you can... Uh, purchase them using uh, PayPal from the U.S. or across the world. You can also use international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada, or you can use a personal check from the U.S. to Canada. Across the world, you've still got Western Union and money ground. Again, PayPal. And remember, straight donations are seriously, seriously welcome because it costs a lot to just to keep just repair the, the smashed and broken equipment and the, the burned-out stuff I, that you get with the junk that we buy today anyway from China. And it helps to pay my bills too, because I've got quite a lot here to, to deal with. Now, this world system we're in, and it's a world government, it's quite interesting because I was reading some stuff from H.G. Wells just the other day there, and he was talking back in the 1920s how a world governance system would be set up, and they didn't even need an actual physical body of a, a, a building for them to meet in. Uh, there'd be front bodies, like again, they call them the United Nations today, but they wouldn't actually need a physical body. It would simply be through treaties, organizations, subcommittees, uh, through private corporations, etc., all over networking uh, to make this world government the way it is. Well, see, we're already here. He said that himself, that it'll, it'll come without the people even knowing it's in, it's in existence. So we're already here, by the way. We've been here for quite some time, quite a long time. 
And the average person, of course, just gets angry after 9-11 because they think something changed then. Now, all that changed then was the pace of the, of the, the move towards their, their new system. They've been building steadily towards it for a 100 years uh, through using wars, especially World War One, Two, then the Korean War, Vietnam War, and all the other little wars across the globe they had going all the time uh, to bring it in and uh, amalgamate. So the reason for amalgamation of countries that they're giving you, like Europe, etc., was because of the wars. So they needed wars to happen, and they certainly pushed and promoted them, and that's why the banking boys uh, created organizations during World War Two, prior to World War Two, even, called IG Farben, as an example, an umbrella group for all the big international corporations that still exist today to make sure it happened. Then once you're on your knees, you give up all your rights, your freedoms, and your nations, and you amalgamate. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and uh, I think there's enough people out there who are wise enough now to understand the chronology, the, the tricks of conning the public at large through repetition and straight faces from important people. That's all it really takes to convince the public that something must be true, even though their antennas and their radars are all up because something in the back of their mind says this seems nonsensical. But the more you hear it and the more experts come out to bamboozle you and one after another comes out and says the same thing, simple repetition, then you say, well, they they can't all be lying, for goodness sake. What would be the point in lying? And you don't realize all the politics behind it, the massive grants behind it, and the social policies that have to come out of this. This is really what the whole idea of climate change and carbon taxing, energy taxing, is all about. It's a new system to replace the old system based on energy consumption and the supposed transformation just like the old alchemists, of course, of any kind of energy into carbon, which they, they do through mathematical formulas. Any, any witch doctor could do the same kind of thing and come up with his version, and that would be the standard one that they'd all use, which is basically what they're using. Anyway, it's to, it's to really, supposedly, for all the lefties uh, who follow their leaders, the leaders are all paid for by the big banks, by the way, but they don't know that, and the followers never know much at all. Uh, they want a fairer, juster world who's more equal, so they believe in the redistribution of wealth across the globe. And that's, the, the, that's what they're told by the leaders. Yes, we're going to make sure that they get all this cash going into third world countries to help the poor. And it goes into the pockets uh, to, of the big international corporations that set up their slave plantations in those particular countries. So everyone's conned because this is how the world's always been run through conology, you understand. Now, there's an article here and it's called Climate Change. It says, the, the, map, the, map, the climate change scare machine. Now, I mentioned before a whole bunch of quotes from the big top people who've admitted it's all a scam and how the, the, the always give out scary stories to the public, especially before big world meetings, of impending doom and gloom and the sky is falling in order to, to get them all on board and, and to back this whole these big world meetings that they're having. So... It's a big climate change scare machine. It says the perpetual self-feeding cycle of alarm. 
And by the way, that is what is called even psychology because they, they've tested all these studies out on, on the public through various, over, oh, actually over a hundred odd years or more. And they know how, it, how to, how to get you on board with something. Two professors at sociology, of sociology think they can explain why climate deniers are winning. Now, this is money getting thrown at universities too, you understand, to find out ways to get around your denial of it or your common sense. Um, assertions about what you think is happening or has or has not been happening, and uh, so they, they find ways to to destroy you bit by bit uh, through through psychology, sociology, and so on. And it's all techniques, you see. So two professors of sociology think they can explain why climate deniers are winning, and it says, but Riley E. Dunlap and Aaron M. McKnight start from the wrong assumption and and miss the bleeding obvious. It says the theory was wrong and the evidence has changed and thousands of volunteers have exposed it. The real question sociologists will be studying for years to come is how was an exaggerated scare based on so little evidence, poor reasoning and petty name-calling kept alive for two whole decades? It's because it's a mandate, that's why. And it says, climate change scare machine cycle, see how your tax dollars are converted into alarming messages. And it's got uh, a PDF, uh, which you can download. I'll put this up at cuttingthroughmidgets.com at the end of the broadcast. And you can see all the incredible funding that goes into all the universities, all the, the grants that are dished out all over the place. And a lot of it for propaganda purposes alone, in fact, and to make sure the children are all indoctrinated. And it says... Um, the key points are the money that vested interests on the pro-scale side is vastly larger, more influential, and more powerful than that on the sceptical side. Fossil fuel and conservative think tanks are competing against most of the world's financial houses, the nuclear and renewable energy industry, large well-financed green activists, such as World Wildlife Fund revenue last year was $700 million that went to this whole propaganda machine, not to mention whole government departments, major political parties, university depend, universities dependent on government funding, the BBC, it says there's no debate because of, that's what they said at the BBC, there's no more debate on this, it's closed. The EU and the entire United Nations, they're all on board with it. Despite this highly asymmetrical arrangement, the skeptics are winning simply because they're more convincing, they have the evidence. The other team avoid debate, try to shut down discussion, because only their experts count. They imply the audience is too stupid to judge for themselves, and actually do that too, you know. And then call everyone who disagrees with them rude names. The dumb punters are figuring them out, and it says, uh, so valley free speech. It says, the evidence has changed, but who wants to know? When the evidence began rolling in, showing the assumptions were wrong, and the graphs were flawed, actually were fixed, the thermometers were biased, none of them were the same as the rest of them, they weren't standardized, and the expert scientists were behaving badly. Who, expect, who exactly would benefit from risking their career, cutting off their cash cow, and being exiled from friends, colleagues, and being called a denier for speaking the truth? The perpetual self-feeding cycle of alarmism has its own momentum. Create a scare and siphon up the taxes, fees, fines, charges, and donations. As a bonus, activists feel like heroes. Some collect awards and tributes while they trash the tenets of reason and logic and hail false gods of science, as if any authority is above question. Others gratify base desires by pouring scorn on giants of science, dismissing 40 years of top service with one tenuous association as a kind of appeal to a certain kind of person. And it's true, been dismissing top scientists who disagree with them. It's just, how could such poor reasoning triumph for so long in the modern era? 
The key is that so many benefit from the status quo once the alarm is raised. There's no need for a global conspiracy, and most of the organizations and groups named here are doing honest work with respectful intentions. The problem is not conspiratorial, it's systemic. Monopoly science is not the way to seek the truth. Monopolies don't deliver, not in markets, religion, or government either. Uh, think the EU, for instance. We need competition. Once an alarmist cycle is set up with international bureaucracies, industries, taxis, associations, and activists in place, with careers riding on the perpetual alarm, what stops it? Only the people who come out and don't get paid, they're called volunteers who oppose it. Which university or government department do skeptical scientists apply to? There's none. You can't get any, is he? What grant do you apply for? The money, power, and influence is vastly larger on the side that benefits from the alarm. It says, on the skeptical side, Exxon chipped in all of $23 million over 10 years, but it's chump change. The fossil fuel industry doesn't like carbon legislation, but it's not life or death, unlike the situation for wind and solar, which would virtually be wiped out without the subsidies provided by the scare. The U.S. government has poured in $79 billion of your tax money and then some. And the pro-scale funding is pervasive. For example, the Australian government spent $14 million on a single ad campaign and another $90 million every year on a Department of Climate Change. The UK government paid for lobbyists. They paid for lobbyists to lobby themselves and the BBC partners with the lobby groups. The EU doesn't just subsidise renewables, it also pays them to push for more subsidies. Even the dastardly Exxon paid more than 20 times as much for a single renewable research project than it did to the sceptics. Last year in carbon markets, $142 billion turned over and $243 billion was invested in renewables. It's great business for these guys to get them all for free, you know. Because that's what the governments do. They give them to the big corporations for free, start trading, and they're making profits on them. It says, if the carbon market idea went global, it was projected to reach $2 trillion a year. Every banker and his dog has a, back, a bone in his game. Why shouldn't they? But actually, it's more than that. And I'll put this up to this link, too. It's much more than that. It, it is a, a little conspiracy because I got the documents from an awful long time ago when they had to find ways to, to get the people of the world to live austerely, you see, and, and bring in a new system of, to get rid of their expendable cash. Uh, so that was it. Energy, carbon taxes, etc. was to be the way to go and to bring the whole world together under a single governmental system. And that's what the Club of Rome have got in their own darn book. And I've put up the link so many times. I'm sick mentioning it. They were given the task uh, for the United Nations of dreaming up something that would bring the world together. And they said the ideas of famine, plague, global warming and the like uh, and uh, starvation would fit the bill. So it is definitely more to it than just uh, something that took off by itself. But I'll put this link up and you can have a, a gander, a wee gander, they call it, a little peek at that. Now, to do along with everything that goes on in the world too, it's never to benefit the public. Nothing is to benefit the public. And I've said for years, once all this carbon taxes come in, believe me, it's passed on to you at the bottom. Here's an article here. Almost 200 corporate jet owners from oil company uh, ExxonMobil to Starbucks and Iceland Foods will be awarded free permits to compensate them for the new expense of Europe's carbon trading scheme for aircraft. So they are. They get exemption. The emissions trading scheme means airlines will have to surrender a permit for every one tonne of carbon dioxide they emit, which is expected to raise the cost of flying for millions of passengers. 
Bigger airlines such as EasyJets and British Airways have long been preparing for huge bills from the emissions trading scheme. Uh, they will get a large number of free allowances in the first few years of the scheme to protect their businesses from becoming uneconomic and was bankrupt. However, corporate jet owners, the corporate ones, you know, big corporations and private guys, uh, will also be able to take advantage of these free allowances, potentially selling them on for cash if they don't use their aircraft as much as in previous years. This is what they're getting. They're getting, they're getting so much, you see. If they don't use it uh, in one year, all of it in one year, they get cash back. Or they can sell it to someone else who collects them, just like coins. It says dozens of corporate jet owners will get free permits, including Iceland Foods, J.P. Morgan Chase, Procter Gamble, uh, Hertz Corporation, McDonald's, IBM, and Coca-Cola. Flying Lion Limited, a company used by Lord Ashcroft, which has flown conservative politicians around the world, will initially get 24 allowances per year worth €240 or £207 at today's prices. Not bad for the bigwigs, eh? As they all make you suffer. You see, they're not going to have austerity. They're going to have austerity. And the third world, well, they own it. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix. I'm also putting up a link tonight to the Council on Foreign Relations, hailing uh, the latest big massive free trade deal the U.S. has just passed, actually. The U.S. Congress approved free trade agreements with South Korea, Colombia, Panama, and uh, that has been held by, by the Democrats for years. The ratification of the treaties largely negotiated by the Bush administration was a victory for both President Barack Obama and congressional Republicans. Many congressional Democrats, including Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, voted against the measures. Proponents of the deals have said they would stimulate the beleaguered U.S. economy and generate uh, employment. Isn't that what they told us about all the other free trade deals, too? Look at the the state Europe's in with their free trade. The agreements are expected to produce $13 billion in new exports. Actually, it would be one-way streets, as always, because you understand these are up-and-rising nations, as they're called, under the World Trade Organization, and they can still tax you on the the stuff you're importing into their country. But it's the other way around. It's free to come into yours. So we're expected to get flooded with lots of Korean cars because that's part of the deal. I just mention it here, but I've read the, the deal and that they're going to keep their own cars, of course, and, um, and put hefty, hefty tariffs on anybody who tries to bring in an American car. So it's a one-way deal. And meanwhile, they have free access to the market in the U.S. and won't be paying taxes to import their cars into the U.S. And many other things beyond that. But they've always said this is create jobs, 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 and uh, it certainly does in the countries across the seas. But uh, that's been passed too on the quiet, and most folk aren't even talking about it. Now, you think austerity is bad, and, and it certainly is. And uh, Holland is, is kind of PC and, and very avant-garde in many ways with drugs and various other things. In fact, they were the first country of socialists to actually pay the fathers to stay home at work at one point, uh, stay home from work and, and take care of the babies, and they paid the mums to go out. But, um, and of course, you have to legalize marijuana and stuff like that. But uh, if you're on a train now, rather than put toilets in the train, it's going to be cheaper to do this, and it's off the stair as well. You're going to put in plastic bags in the toilets if, if you need the toilet. So you can pee in a bag. It says, desperate times call for desperate measures. And if you really have to use a toilet on Dutch railway system, the answer may lie in using a plastic bag. 
It says Dutch Railways says it's making special plastic bags available on short-distance trains for people who really need to go to the washroom, according to the Dutch daily newspaper, The Telegraph. It says um, train passengers can ask the driver for a bag that is easy to close and made of degradable plastic. I wonder how fast it degrades, eh? Uh, <laughs> you ever wondered about some of these bags they give you now, even at the grocery store, fall apart before you even leave the counter. And then they go into the driver's cab to do their thing. Dutch Railways says the bags will only be given to people who cannot wait until the next station to use a toilet, says the newspaper. And the bags are the answer to long-standing complaints, long-standing's little pun, I guess, by passengers and railway staff that have made their way to Parliament. One train driver crossed the railway platform to get to another train with a, with a toilet recently, but it left with, with him still on board, leaving his passengers in the other train stranded. So there you go. Everyone's having their problems, it would seem, right? Now, another article I'll put up tonight too, which is worth seeing and it's really important, I believe. It's about smart meters again, and it shows you with meters, uh, accurate meters being tested with the smart meters to see what their kind of energy they're putting out in the microwave frequencies there. You'll see how much they're, they're pulsing, much, it's much higher and, and, and more energetic than a, any cell phone, believe you me. It says smart meters are higher pulses of RF than a cell antenna. And remember, they're in, up in the micro. They have they have uh, two systems within built into the to the actually three systems built into the smart meter. They've got the one they can trans. They don't even need the other two. Uh, I have to really wonder what it's all about. They, but one of the systems they have is hardwired into the electrical supply itself, so they can actually pass all the signals back through the electrical lines and read your meters, etc. But they also have an RF frequency, a radio frequency up in the FM range, but then they have the microwave one as well, just to put it on top of it. So this one's testing the microwave frequency, and you can have a look at this one and uh, let you know what's coming through your house all the time and through your brain. And I'm sure it'll tie in with that down the road, what it's really, really for. Now, an article, too, is to do with this incredible make-work project, I call make-work projects now, where they set guys up to be, uh, and leave them as patsies, as potential terrorists. I mean, they're all set up, and they have been for years, and Canada, too, had that. And this one's from The Guardian. It's just FBI sting style in, in the tale of the, the Saudi ambassador assassination plot. If this counter-terror operation used entrapment techniques, then law enforcement is wagging the dog if U.S. foreign policy in Iran uh, is uh, real, this is. So Wednesday in Manhattan's federal courthouse, the Southern District of New York, and an Iranian-American citizen, Mansour Arbabsiar, was indicted on terrorism and related tar- charges. According to the authorities... Arbabsiar's arrest was a culmination of an FBI-style DEA sting operation focused on the Iranian-born 56-year-old citizen who, according to the criminal complaint, conspired with individuals in Iran, including members of the, the Quds Force, an arm of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, to assassinate the Saudi ambassador in Washington. And it goes through it all and shows you all the, the nonsensical parts of it. In other words, the guy would never have thought about anything unless these guys came to him and and helped to try to set him up, and etc., etc. And also, too, a good part of it, too, according to the criminal complaint, somehow allegedly become involved in the scheme to funnel $1.5 million from the Codes Force to a Mexican drug cartel that agreed to blow up a fictional restaurant, a fictional restaurant in Washington, D.C. There was never anything going to happen here. Patsy's. But what's interesting 
is other articles on who benefits from going to war with Iran and who is behind even this setup here. It's more than just getting numbers to justify their jobs at the FBI, although that's part of it. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about all the make-work projects for the FBI, as they have so many people now looking for terrorists, and they can't find any. They create them, at least the appearance of them, by creating stings, uh, paying people lots of money, very generally pretty simple people, easily led, uh, giving them explosives, giving them fake places to blow up, and then arresting them. And this is happening all over the world. It's happened in Britain, it happened in Canada, it's happened uh, in the U.S., and it says it brings you back to another case that happened before. It says that makes this case again uncomfortably reminiscent of the recent Bronx synagogue case, a case that has elicited cries of entrapment from many sectors. In it, four men were convicted of participating in an FBI sting plan aimed at blowing up synagogues at, in Riverdale, New York. The defendants were vocally anti-Semitic, but the choices of the synagogues and of the explosive, as revealed in the court proceedings, were those of the federal authorities. In other words, the U.S. government appeared willing to risk inflaming passions with the details of a plot that would enhance fear and suspicion in a community where a large percentage of American Jews live. Well, who benefits? Who gains? You've got to always, always ask the questions, and why would they do that? They know, you know, they want a war with Iran. That's on the list of the new American century. That's now the new Obama century, I guess. But it's the same agenda that's going on. And they also put in from the things the Guardian too, the passionate attachment is alleged Iranian plots a provocation by an outside agency, asked the Guardian. In other words, who benefits again? It has the ring of a far-fetched Hollywood thriller, this ridiculous plot they've dreamed up. And even the senior law enforcement official involved in the investigation admitted to journalists that alleged plot to kill the Saudi ambassador to the U.S. did not fit with what was known about the methods and practices of the supposed perpetrators, the Code Force, the Revolutionary Guards. Julian Borger writes in The Guardian. Of the eight unanswered questions Borger raises about the affair, the final one is arguably the most pertinent. Could the alleged plot be provocation by an outside agency seeking to start a conflict between Iran and its enemies? In that case, our Babsiar is consciously misleading his interrogators or he's being used by his cousin and his associates who are working for this third party. When it comes to outside agencies provoking conflicts, few in the mainstream media know the most likely culprits better than Borger. In a July 2003 special investigation, the link is on here, I'll put them all up tonight, they're worth reading through one at a time, one after the other. Entitled The Spies Who Pushed for War, The Guardian's diplomatic editor exposed the Israeli source of the false intelligence coming out of Doug Fyth's Office of Special Plans in the Pentagon that bypassed the CIA and DIA to conduct a justification for toppling Saddam Hussein by force. It says the OSP was an open and largely unfiltered conduit to the White House, not only for the Iraqi opposition, it says it, it also forced close ties to a parallel ad hoc intelligence operation inside Ariel Sharon's office in Israel, especially to, uh, specifically to bypass Mossad and provide the Bush administration with more alarmist reports on Saddam, Saddam's Iraq than Mossad was prepared to authorize. 
none of the Israelis who came into the Pentagon, right, were cleared through normal channels, said one source familiar with the visits. Instead, they were waved in on Mr. Fife's authority without having to fill in the usual forms. The exchange of information continued a long-standing relationship Mr. Fife and other Washington neoconservatives had with Israel's Likud party. In 1996, he and Richard Perle, now an influential Pentagon figure, served as advisors to the then Likud leader, Benjamin Netanyahu. In a policy paper they wrote entitled A Clean Break, A New Strategy for Securing the Realm, the two advisors said that Saddam would have to be destroyed and Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia and Iran, Maritobi the list, would have to be overthrown or destabilized for Israel to be truly safe. By the way, I'll put up a link to their own document. It's called A Clean Break, A New Strategy for Securing the Realm. I'll put it up tonight too along with these other articles that are related to it. Because you've got to get past all this nonsense and fluff you got by the media and say who benefits, who's this all for, what's going on here? Uh, because nobody's coming clean on the matter. And there's so much evidence. It's just, you can't keep tossing it away. People are going to get slaughtered because now another article put up too is Obama has come out with the, the written speech, the usual stuff, the new normal now that you hear about the toughest sanctions yet on the country. And that means they're going to starve them, uh, get them sick and so on. And then they go and invade. We've seen this time after time since 1991, I think, with, with the Gulf War one started. It's just, this is the new normal. And we're also going to sit back and watch your sports. And I guess a lot of folk will. They won't care who's getting slaughtered where. As these big boys go in and plunder and destroy uh, societies that were functional amongst themselves if left alone. And, um, and bring in a dysfunctional system. Remember, too, you've got to remember that Kissinger said the same thing when he was asked, and so would Brzezinski, what kind of long-term approach they would use for the Middle East uh, before they, they hit uh, Iraq. He says, we'd like to go into these countries, destabilize them. Once we've conquered them, destabilize them, get factions fighting forever amongst themselves. Then they could never unite together as a common people against another threat. And we all know what he was talking about, I'm sure. And that's what you've got. Wherever they've gone... They've destabilized it, and uh, and that leaves, leaves the field clear for the only superpower in the area. Quite obvious, isn't it? It's geopolitics. Now, I'll go to the callers, and um, there's Daniel from Britain hanging on there. Are you there, Daniel? Uh, Hello? Yeah, can you hear me all right? Yes, I can, yeah. Um, you know, I asked before, another time, about we're talking about his religion, the people at the top of his elite. Well, it's religion, and they got themselves to this position of um, godlike status, yeah. And they feel it's their responsibility to uh, perfect mankind, that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, you, you understand what they mean by perfecting mankind, yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that they're going to bring you up to what they think is a proper standard, you know. No, it's just their whatever manifestation of man they think we should be, that sort of thing. Exactly. What kind of slave you should be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, what I want to say, is it also, um, you were saying that, that you can actually get some factual information from the Bibles, like um, there is some factual historical information in the Old and New Testaments. Is that right? There's, there's, some, there's some factual stuff there. Uh, there's a lot of hidden stuff too. Uh, or stuff that's so vague that most folks skip it over uh, because they don't understand. There's, there's nothing to f- to, to, that precedes it or follows it to try to explain what they're talking about. But you understand that religion 
is to do with always special people. If you become a Christian, you're now a special person, as opposed to those over there who are not Christians and so on. And even amongst Christianity, you've got all these different sects that kind of look down on other sects as not, not proper Christians, etc., etc. And it's the same in the ancient world as well. Um, the ancient world had, had it was no different whatsoever. You had different sects uh, all praying to their own gods. There was many gods at one time. Well, this and is what I wanted to ask you was, uh, with regards to the, uh, I've been looking into these uh, Olympians because this Olympians is something I've heard in that, uh, John John Coleman's book. And then I started looking at the Greek Olympians, the twelve Olympians. Now, um, in a nutshell. Um, do you think they were actually referring to real people? No. They weren't? No, not, not as God, not, not as what they, they make it out to be. Uh, I have no, no doubt at all that, that uh, uh, secretive societies that ruled empires, and at that time that was called the ancient world, not the full globe, obviously. Today it's a full globe they're going for. But they, they did have... Um, they're, they're the same symbology and, and numerology, and always 12, again, for, for the zodiac. So they used to use the zodiac as a, a symbolic of the members and for their ta- or their tasks in the, big, the great work, the plan itself. And so you'd often have 12 uh, residing as a council. Benjamin Franklin talked about uh, uniting the world, a confederation of the world. That's what he hoped America would end up being. And he said it would be run by 12 wise men. So the European Union, for all of its members, said they'd never go past 12 stars on the flag. Uh, so they always stick to the same symbology of, of, the, of the numbers uh, to do with the, the 12. Yeah. They get 12 disciples, etc. You know. Right. But, but, I mean, the, 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 Greek, the 12 Olympians were not actually referencing real people then. I mean, the, the only way to say it is because when you look at these marble statues mm-hmm. of Greek gods, they're just people. They look like just ordinary men and women, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, because you have to. See, mankind, mankind. Um, uh, uh, if we were shaped like triangles, we'd have to make a god in the shape of a triangle. We always project what we are onto the deity, you see? And that's why some religions forbid any depiction whatsoever of the deity, because it would be, uh, it would be a, a derogatory of, of what the deity actually is. Absolutely corrupt and... and uh, because, in fact, in, in Judaism, uh, what they tell you is, if you ask them, a rabbi, what, uh, what, uh, what is God? He says, I can't tell you what God is. I can only tell you what he isn't. Mm. Yes, I understand. So, in a nutshell, although you can glean some um, facts from the Bible, you don't think there's any historical facts from um, like Homer and Hesiod and all these oh, oh, you'll find, you'll find. The problem is, what we call it, what we call it, really, is, is, is religion uh, and mythologies. Now, there's, there's often little traces of truths in mythologies uh, to do with events that happened. Um, and we know, for instance, that the idea of Noah was borrowed from much earlier people's stories of of, um, of things that they, they say happened. So, kind of mythological stories. Same with Moses, too. Uh, there was an, an even older story of a similar uh, event where a guy was tossed off in the river in, a ba- in the rushes and uh, in a basket and survived, too, to become a king. So much, much of the stories are collected and reused again when people take over a religion uh, and claim it as their own. Yeah. I see. So, so these... Well, I understand. Thanks. And, um, and also, bringing us up to date more... You, you've mentioned the Chinese being the police force of the world. 
you think they will actually deploy, you know, hundreds of thousands of um, Chinese troops around the world in every country then to keep us in line? They will eventually. They're, they're, they have, they're supposed to take over where America leaves off. And uh, even the, the Council on Foreign Relations uh, and interna- the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs uh, own world meetings going back as the 1930s predicted the whole of the rest of the 20th century, including the coming war, by the way, with Japan and Germany. Uh, and in 1938 in Australia, they had it, that, that meeting. And uh, they, they also said that uh, America will last a few, uh, for, to, for the rest of the century as a policeman of the world, taking over from Britain. And remember, before that, Britain ruled the waves, the largest navy, all that kind of stuff. Now the U.S. took over. And they will keep a balance of power, meaning, meaning they'll obliterate any other competition to make sure there's only one power. And it says eventually China will be brought up to an industrial standard, and they will take over the job as the United States wanes. Now, in the recent, the more recent Council on Foreign Relations articles that I've been reading over the last few years, I've, I've read about them, I've occasionally mentioned them on the air. Uh, you've got the Council on Foreign Relations with the big world meetings that they have, um, telling China it's time to get involved and take their, their place of responsibility in the world's affairs, meaning policing and so on. And so we're, we're seeing the start of that. Now, remember, they, they have armies in some of the African countries now. Well, because someone told you or someone said that that was why they had the one-child policy, just to breed, a, a breed millions of, of future troops. Is that right? Um, well, that's definitely a side effect of it, but uh, it's not just that. No, because it's actually less males in China, and by the year 2030, there'll be two, well, I think it's, uh, there'll be one-third less males and females in China the way it's going. And uh, so uh, it's, uh, or actually too many males, I should say, too many males, but it's not for an army purpose. Um, they can cer- certainly host a world army, but uh, so could the European Union and America if, if they were not de- um, deemed and scheduled to go broke into austerity. The big boys, you understand, who rule this world system are not afraid of China. They own China. They made China what it is. Yes. No, you've, you've made that. Yes, I understand that. It, it, that makes sense. Um, but one thing I still struggle with is why they keep cutting the numbers in the armed forces. They're just gearing up for another war, but they keep um, sacking them. Well, it's, it's because actually they're privatizing so much of it. I look at the UK, for instance, they've privatized the, the companies that take care, to take care of the, the nuclear missile sites, etc. You actually have a world corporation running the missile sites of, the, of Britain. What is that? Um, G, G4S are one of the big ones, and Serco, and all these, yeah. they seem to have thousands of little um, subcontractors working for them. Yes. Over in the UK, I've noticed this that the uh, private security industry has, has gone through the roof. I mean, e- everywhere you look, um, there's private security doing manned guarding and, and door work and, and all this sort of stuff, and it is all private now, isn't it? And I suppose that, that will be um, gearing up for this feudal system you talk about because they will need all this private security to look after them, won't they? Uh, absolutely. You, you're in it. A, a guy uh, who was a British lord... Uh, told me in the 1980s, the early 80s, that uh, the future of the world would be run by massive private security organizations. Um, and uh, it'd be a vastly different world, he said. And that was the time when they were bringing in all ex-Marines, uh, uh, Royal Marines commandos, 
uh, SAS, Special Forces, uh, into private, uh, the private security businesses. And they set, they set up some big training ones in Britain. In fact, they're still there yet. And in the States, and they trained them. And because they knew then they were, they were going to basically do away with, with the nation state. That was to get done away with. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the trouble is you'll have no, your stuff then as public because, because it's all like these private corporations. They'll be able to do what they want with you, and you go to the government, and it's like with private uh, building contracts. Everybody shirks responsibility and says, oh, well, that's nothing to do with us. Yeah. There's nothing we can do because there's no laws about it, you see. If there's no laws, that's, and that's the beauty of this legal system, as they call it. If there's no laws about it, say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. They're a private company, so, so don't complain to us. You know, we don't wanna, we're all responsible for what we do as a government. <laughs> and when, you, when you're sitting in some cell... You just get some number you have to ring up, and it's one of those damn recorded messages that says press five for this, press six for that, and then you don't get through to anyone in the end. That's what it will be, won't it? That's right. Mm. That's right. All right. Okay, Alan. We'll... You're in the system, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Thanks for answering my questions, Alan. Cheers. And thanks for calling. But yeah, you're in a system. You've been in it for a long time, and just like H.G. Wells says, you'll have a world governance type system without even knowing. The people won't even know it exists because they simply don't put up a big building and say, "This is the world parliament." It's already here, and most of the meetings we hear about the meetings, and they give them different names. But if you just put it together, that is world government. That's world government, all unelected, by the way. Same as your G20, a private club. There's nothing written in your constitutions that allows any present prime minister to have a pri- join an international private club that will end up making treaties to run his country. But they've all done it. They've all done it. And no one complained because no one really understood the implications of what they were actually doing. And simply because they came out in force, you think, oh, it must be very illegal. Well, where is it written that it's legal? They make the laws, they make the charters, they make the clubs. You have never had democracy. Back with more after this break. Folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and uh, there's Frank from North Carolina on the phone. Are you there, Frank? Uh, yes, thank you. Hope you're doing all right. Uh, I am. I, uh, I've been meaning to ask you something for a while. It's it's, it's simple, uh, and, and I wanted to see if you might have any insight into it. Uh, when I was in college, I uh, it never never crossed my mind to. Uh, what the meaning was behind the degree, uh, you know, like bachelor's degree. Where, where does that come from? Uh, a bachelor of science. Well, at one time, people had to actually be uh, bachelors at one time to get in and actually study for, for their actual degree system. Uh, it's very much like an apprentice at one time. Benjamin Franklin tells you at one time you were owned by the master. When you became an apprentice, you signed yourself over at one point, to the master for maybe five, six years or more. And it was, it was very similar in the early universities. You were signed over to, because there's always a master of your department or whatever you're, you know, that you're studying, etc., or the science that you're involved in. And so you, you, were a, a, you got a bachelor degree. Um, There's another inner meaning, too, to do with the, the fact uh, masonry came into it heavily, 
at about the same time where they were coming out with degrees, etc. In fact, they came out, that's really when it came out together uh, with a degreed system for the universities. And uh, it's all Masonic or uh, building terminology that's used, even your grading, a grade is in the roads, you know, etc. Uh, there's so much I could go on and on about all that stuff. But anyway, the fact is um, they did bring you in in this very Masonic system right down to you're a widow's son to an extent. Uh, that's what they mean by that, partly too. You're a widow's son uh, as an apprentice. And um, you come into the system, once you're, you're, you're fully... Uh, qualified, you are and given your quality approved control stamp. Really, that's what you do to lead into their system. That's what all degrees are. Uh, they put the, the mortar board on your head. That's a square. You're being squared, and of course you wear the cloak too of the master or gown. Um, and then different colours can come into it too, depending on the type you've, you've taken. So it's uh, it's all tied up with with Freemasonry. A lot changed. So much came in actually. In the, in the, the 18th century, as when Mason really came in as a big front organization run by others, um, much, much older organization and people, but they created Freemasonry and the educational system because academia, to rule over a country or a world, you must uh, standardize a system of those who are in a managerial class of that system. So that's why they brought it in. Also, can I ask one other question real quick? Yeah. Uh, uh, you pick up on numbers I, 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 you, all throughout the years that I've been listening to you. You pick up on numbers really, uh, you know, quick. You, you see them, whereas other people don't. Um, this plan that uh, the advisors, team of advisors, came up with that surround Herman Cain, the 999 plan. Uh, I, do you do you think that that is some type of a hidden? Uh, you know, sequence of numbers there that they chose because uh, you know if you turn those numbers upside down, it's six six six. Yeah, it's a very old system that was known in Britain even by people like me when I was in school because uh, at that time you had to dial phones, and if you dialed nine nine nine, it turned as you were dialing it, it was always six six six. By the time you've dialed it, and of course um, that was for the police at that time, and the police of course wear the checkerboard hats between the the, the light and the dark. Uh, so it's uh, the grey area between the, the, the light and the dark places where a man of honour or degree can make a decision where others can't. And so it's, it's designed by those in the know, basically. Yeah, That's what it means. Okay. Th- Thank thanks for calling. And from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. Remember to donate, buy the books, because I have to get out the whole of in here. See ya next Monday.